Hi, and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikhe Anani, and I'm your host. This week, I was joined by an amazing lady, Carrie Brazaski, founder of Redwood Executive Coaching, and a nonprofit called Helping Healthcare Heroes. In her past life, she was a nurse and a hospital executive, and her corporate healthcare career ended because she had severe burnout. Not only did she personally experience this, she witnessed destruction caused by stress and burnout whilst working as a nurse. So today, she helps family business owners and family business leaders in supporting workforces, how retaining key talent by ensuring that stress and burnout are not the cause of lost profits, lower productivity, and decreased performance. So enjoy this episode and please share the love. Hi, Kerry. Welcome to The Connected Generation. I'm so excited for this conversation today. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. So tell us more about Kerry. Who are you? How did you get to where you are today? Tell us your back journey. Well, I have to do a little proud shout out to my profession. Today, while we're taping this, is actually National Nurses Day. And so I have been a nurse. Officially, yesterday was 30 years from graduation from nursing school. And I can honestly say that if I had to do it all over again, I would absolutely be a nurse. But it seems kind of odd when I say that because it's not the focus of what I do now. I went through healthcare. I was a hospital administrator, kind of worked myself up through corporate healthcare until I thoroughly burnt out. And it was so Mm. bad that I walked away. And so I'm now on a mission to help people in organizations not get to the pinnacle of their career where they feel like they have to walk away because of stress and burnout, because that's what happened Mm. to me. And so it's been a up and down journey. But really what I've realized is that so many organizations do not have support, leadership training, well-being as a focus to where they really can sustain their workforce and their culture. And so what I do now is help organizations create retention strategies so that they don't lose those key employees. I mean, my organization didn't want me to leave. They actually wanted me to move to another state, go kind of work in another hospital, clean it up, fix it. And it just was too much. I was at a point that I couldn't do it. So it's really making sure that people have strategies so that they can stay in the jobs that they have. Because by and large, people hate change. And Mm -hmm. changing jobs is really hard. Mm -hmm. And so if you can have your job work for you, as well as you work for your job, chances are you're going to stay because people hate change. So they don't want to change. And so it's really us helping them create the culture of true sustainability within their organization. Wow. That's so, so, so powerful. And I love that we're talking about this conversation, stress and burnout, particularly in these COVID times. Yeah. The overwhelm is real with Zoom 247. Not necessarily people expecting you to be available and on, but us having this difficulty disengaging from the tech, from emails, from work and what have you. And I'm sensing, I don't know whether this is your, well, this is your line of work, so you know more than me, 
I'm sensing that organizations are seeing it more of their responsibility to ensure that the well-being of their employees is well taken care of. Whereas in the past, it was almost like, that's your personal issue, whether you can handle the stressful stressful work conditions, that's your personal issue to sort out. Whereas now, there seems to be more conversation about, okay, how can HR, how can organizations actually support their talent? Is that correct? Yeah. And we've actually, we've had studies out there that show when we address people's well-being, when they are less stressed, they're more productive, they're more profitable. Mm -hmm. And so we've had the research out there, like you say, COVID has kind of brought a spotlight to well-being and stress. But the other is that we used to go to an organization. We were able to leave our personal Mm -hmm. lives at home. How many times you heard, you know, leave your personal life at the door. But now we've taken and we've brought our work life into our personal life. And I always share that in the 30 years that I have been in either healthcare or as an entrepreneur, I can count on my hands how many times my personal life affected my job. Mm. I don't have enough fingers and toes and friends to say how many times the job impacted my personal life. And so we really have to kind of have this new change of how do you cut it off? What do you do? How do you have the conversations with leadership so that they are setting the example and realizing that the happier my employees, I just read an article, I think it came out from the Harvard Business and it was on happier employees actually are more productive employees. It seems Mm. like pretty count, Mm. like duh, if you're happy, you're going to work better, but they actually have the research to back it up. There's a lot of that. And we're finally starting to realize that happy, engaged employees leadership that's happy and engaged are better people to be around. They serve our customers better and we have better profits and overall key indicators all improve when people are happier. Mm. And so for business owners that own family businesses and what have you, what common challenges or common struggles do you see them having in this area of talent retention and employee wellness and what have you? Well, I think the first is probably a mindset that a lot of people look at turnover as a cost of doing business. While you're going to have some people that are going to turn over, and I even hear business owners, well, but that's the industry norm. But what if you were better than the industry norm? Because when Mm -hmm. I talk to most businesses, they don't think that they run an average company. They think Mm -hmm. that their company is exceptional. So why do we just take for granted and be okay with being average for turnover and retention. So part of it, I think, is rethinking the way in which you look at your talent so that it's like, no, this isn't okay. The average cost I was reading lately, even just a low minimum wage employee costs an organization $7,000 to turn it over. And then you get into leadership roles and you're looking at two to three times their salary. So if you've got somebody making $100,000, it could cost you up to $300,000 to replace them. 
Now it's not all in direct costs. Sometimes it's those other things, the Mm -hmm. cost of recruitment, the cost of talent that you lose. And so really looking at retention as a key performance indicator, as much as your revenue, because Mm -hmm. what good is bringing in a lot of revenue if I'm constantly have this outflow on the back end that's costing Mm -hmm. me sometimes more than what I'm bringing in, or at least really depleting my bottom line because I have that outflow. So that mindset that turnover doesn't have to be a cost of doing business. Think of it as important as your revenue goals, but then you have to train your leadership and yourself how to have high performance conversations. You can't just expect that everybody's going to know how to do it. You have to invest in your people. And then as you In a small business, you set the tone for your organization. You may not be the one who's responsible for every single key performance indicator, but you set the tone. You set what's important. And when you start looking at retention and realizing that I can grow my people and I can invest in them, or I'm just going to have to buy new ones, essentially. It's like save what you have because it's a better investment overall. Mm, I just had a huge aha. So you were talking about how talent retention should be a key KPI. And essentially, you should look at your talent as you look at investments, really, because there's an opportunity cost of replacing assets in business that you've maintained over the years, you've improved over the years. Instead of disposing and replacing assets, you can actually take an extra effort to ensure that you retain the assets that you have, because there's a huge cost to it. Sorry, I'm an accountant in my former life. So this is the way way I think. If you gave your money to an asset manager and you said, here's $100,000 that we're going to invest. And whatever they invested five years ago, they've never changed your portfolio. Doesn't matter if that company is bleeding or they never changed it. That's essentially what you're doing when you don't invest in your employees. Hmm. You're just making a one-time deposit to an asset manager and go, okay, what, however we do it today, it'll just be okay for the long run. And then don't look at it for five or 10 years and then go, wow, my portfolio looks awful. Hmm. That's a really great analogy. That's an excellent analogy, actually, because... As you're investing and training them up and and, and attending to their wellness and what have you, the value of the asset appreciates instead of most assets depreciate except for land. That's an excellent, excellent analogy that you've just painted. And so you've walked us through the struggles that business owners typically have in this area. So what can they do? So one of the biggest things they can do is start having conversations around high performance teams, getting your teams on the same page. So it starts with leadership being very solidified in this is how we want the inside of our company to look. So many organizations spent oodles and oodles of time creating their mission and vision. And they put it on the wall and it's very external to the customer. This is what we want to be. This is Mm -hmm. how we want to provide this service. They don't spend as much time really creating the mission and the vision of their culture. 
So Mm -hmm. it's taking the time to really define what are those cultural things that you want? What are standards of behaviors? And maybe that may not be language that's specific, but what is the performance behaviors? What are those things that you're going to stand for Mm -hmm. inside your organization? What are those key traits that you want in your employees? And one, you hire to that. And then two, you promote and you reward to that. It's funny because I spent a lot of time in one organization and we created what were called the basics. They were these 12 behaviors, we called them, that we did everything revolved around. And I haven't been in that organization in 15 years. And I can still tell you what their number one basic was. And it was, this is my hospital and I will show pride of ownership every day. Now, Mm. obviously, we worked in a hospital, but that key behavior. So when somebody did something that didn't match that, it's like, you know what? That behavior is unbecoming, not only of you, but it doesn't support this key behavior that we want where everyone shows ownership and Mm. pride that they are a part of this organization. So it's really defining that. And then having each individual, regardless of what job you do, knowing and understanding how they fit in to that overall culture. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot as small business owners, if you network, you have your one minute elevator pitch. You have what you do when you go to the lunch or the dinner or whatever. Your employees need the same thing. But it's not like I'm the receptionist. When somebody asks, well, I'm just the receptionist at ABC Company. No, what she does is it's very different if she or he says, you know what? I work for company ABC and I am the frontline smiler. Everyone who walks into this organization, I get to personally greet and create this positive experience and start the wow until I can hand them off to the next person in our organization. Hmm. Very different than I answer the phones. It's whatever you're trying to create. They need to know how they fit into it. I think you've just touched on something that's so poignant here. And that is you've mentioned high performance teams a couple of times. And a lot of the time in family businesses, what we'll see is the founder is really key to the mission, the vision, the activities, the operations of the business. And the employees may sometimes feel like they're just followers. They're just task givers. And they're not really part of this collaborative team. And you've really articulated the importance of creating a culture where everyone has true ownership in what it is they're doing. And they don't just see themselves as a cog in the wheel, but they actually see the true value that they're bringing to the organization and really have deep conviction over that and also exude that. So how do we move? I'm sure a lot of your client base are family businesses as well, and you probably come across this. How do you help family businesses make that move from that shift where it's all centered on the founder and we create a more collaborative culture? Well, it takes time. Mm-hmm. And you can't just come one time, sit around at a table and go, this is how we're going to do it. Like, go. 
it takes some concerted effort. One, it's articulating what do you want. The other thing that I found is sometimes, and this is really hard, and this is where it's nice when you have somebody from the outside who could come in and help you do it, is that the founder, like you say, may be very driven to the mission and vision, mm-hmm. but they're not a good leader. And so sometimes they need to hire, whether it's external consulting or they bring in somebody that actually drives the performance and is kind of that CEO where they can be the founder, but then they have somebody who can drive the mission and the vision and not be so emotionally tied to the way it used to be. You know, I just pause there. I know my audience very well. And a lot of them might have been like, what? What's the (laughs) distinction between a founder and a leader? Because a lot of the time it's all in one in a family business, right? Correct. So in your view, what's the role of a founder vis-a-vis the role of a leader, a CEO or COO of the organization? So I'll use the science analogy because that seems to be like most of your companies, I don't think that you list are scientists. So you're a scientist and you discover an amazing way that we can do something new. And you take that product or that service, this new thing, and you now have created a company. That's the founder. It's the person who has taken this baby idea, gone through the process, and now has a company And we're moving forward with providing this service or this product. But because you're a scientist, I mean, you think about this, kind of the mad scientist, white coat, sits at a bench doing all kinds of chemistry things. I mean, I'm really being generic here and stereotyping. (laughs) So don't anybody send me an email because you're a scientist. But think of that person. And now surround this person with a bunch of people who are like, how do I do this? How do I do accounts receivable? How do we get new business? How do I market? Where do we go from here? And they're like, wait a minute, I know how to make this widget. I Mm -hmm. created this amazing service. I love this. This is so important, but they don't know how to do those other things. So the difference between being the founder, you're the one who essentially brought the company to fruition. And Mm -hmm. you are the one who has this idea where sometimes you can bring the CEO or a COO or consulting that can take you and help you be able to do all of those other things of creating the forward vision. Not to say that the founder doesn't have the vision, but Mm -hmm. it's, do they know how to have the growth of the vision? And so the founder can stay very into making sure that we are aligned with the overall mission and vision Mm -hmm. of what the company needs to be and the feel of the company. But a CEO, a COO can grow the company and they are more of creating the vision to go forward. It's kind of how I see. And typically we see this in healthcare a lot. We take people who are really good at their job and then we promote them to a leader. And we just think that you can lead people. And a lot of us are like, worked with, it's like you were great as a colleague and a coworker. You're terrible as a boss and a leader. Mm. Because mm-hmm. even then, there's a difference between leadership and management. Indeed. Because the management is making sure that everything gets done. The leadership is creating the vision 
and creating a team that wants to follow you and you being able to kind of find the good in the people to help promote them, that you see things in them that they couldn't even see. It's Mm -hmm. like you're that person. When you're a leader, you are able to take that piece of coal and rub it and squeeze it and make it into a diamond. They didn't even know that they were a diamond. So, so, so apt. And so for those family business owners that are like, this really resonates and we need some help with this, but it seems quite airy-fairy. Where does one start? How do you precisely help your clients? And what does that process look like? It totally depends. I know most people hate that. (laughs) It truly is. Every organization is different. And I think it depends on the skill that you have already in your organization. So we like to kind of come and do an assess where you're at. And let's see what kind of talent do you already have? You know, Mm -hmm. some family businesses, they have amazing talent, but Jimmy is the youngest brother. And so we just look at him as little Jimmy. But yet Jimmy has this amazing wealth of information. But because of his role in the family Mm -hmm. dynamic, he keeps his mouth shut. And he cringes and he just gets where when you're in, I know you deal with this, but it's like, there's times where you have to decide, is this your family? Meaning that is the dynamics that we have at the Thanksgiving table, is that our business? Or do we have a business and the dynamics of Thanksgiving dinner are outside? And so it's really creating, again, it goes back to what do you want this to be? How do you want this to feel inside your company? And being able to have some candid, open conversations. And this is where I think you, myself, really help these organizations because we don't have the emotional tie. Yeah. And we don't know what happened at the Thanksgiving table. And we don't need to. We want to be able to bring out the best of what's there. So I think the first is to really have those conversations and then being able to work with the leadership so that they all get on the same team and on the same page. And then you start working with the middle management, then support their employees and having high performance conversations. But again, you have to support them. You can't just tell people, this is what I want you to do. This is how it's going to be and expect that it's going to happen. You've got to support them through that change process. Yeah, that penultimate line you just said, you can't just tell people, this is what I want and this is how it's going to be. And I often see that where there's frustration on the part of the founder, where it's like, well, I've told you we need to focus on A, B, C, D, E. But then the employees are like equally frustrated and feel like the expectations are not clear enough. Why does that gap arise? And what steps can business owners take to kind of close that gap a little bit more? So any change process takes time. I mean, there's some changes, you know, we have to do, it's immediate, it's regulatory jeopardy or whatever it is. The law says we must do it this way. Mm -hmm. Those you don't have time. It's like, this is just the way it is, period, the end. But even on those, the more clear communication we can have. I love to do what's called cascade learning and cascade communication. So we start out with a very clear, this is the process that we're going to go through. And the bigger the change that an organization is going to go through, the more hands that you can get in the actual process. 
maybe at the top, we decide we're going to go to a four day work week. Mm-hmm. And this is just what we're going to do. And now we need, but then you start bringing in various leaders or even end users. And we say, you know what? We're looking at going to a four day work week. What do you see as the pitfalls? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? How are people going to take it? And you get the communication so that you find out the pitfalls or the questions beforehand. You get this collaborative process. And then what I like to do is you actually have, here's how the leaders are going to communicate this to their teams. And it's almost like you have a little checklist to it. It doesn't mean that they're going to follow it exactly. You're not saying a script like you must say, blah, 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 blah. But it's Mm -hmm. like, here is the idea. And we need this communicated to your team by this date. And then the the, you are checking back on the lead, you know, do your teams know about this? And then as you're walking, talking with your employees to find out, has this been communicated to them? What kind of questions do they have? And you're even having the leaders bring back that information of what were the questions? So we bring back, you have this date to tell everybody, let's get some feedback and come back. Now, what's the next communication tool? Mm-hmm. I like to instill, I call them, and so that's that cascading. And if you had another level, they would do that. And you just keep making sure that those big decisions get communicated because people always say, there's not enough communication. I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. And you can never over-communicate. And then the other thing that you can do is I love doing what I call Friday facts. Ours was FAX because we send it out through a fax machine, which very few (laughs) industries use anymore. But you could do it as your Friday email or Friday facts, F-A-C-T-S. And it is bullet pointing from the week, key things that employees need to know, leadership needs to know. Whether it's working on a new contract with ABC company or we just got a new CFO and his name is and whatever you as an organization have as like your key pillars, I typically have them, you know, it's people, service, growth, finance, and quality, depending on if quality is within your org. And you give them bullet points for the week under each of those pillars so that they're getting constant communication, they know what's coming, and you're also spotlighting, these are the key pillars of our organization, and none of them are more important than the other. Finance Mm -hmm. is not more important than our people. Quality is not more important than our service because we communicate on all five of those. I love that. I love that. Cascading communications and Friday facts. These are excellent, excellent. So... My last question for you, what do you see in the horizon and are you excited about the future? I'm actually, I'm a very opportunistic person in that I see opportunity in anything. So I like to be very positive and forward thinking. I think that the work environment is changing. Mm -hmm. I think that as people start to come out of lockdown, we have some people going back into organizations. We have some people that are going to be totally in the office. We'll have some companies that will do a hybrid mix. I think that if anything, the need for flexibility Mm -hmm. and listening to what your employees need Mm -hmm. is coming to the forefront. We've always said that we needed it. And now the pandemic really put a spotlight on it in that flexibility 
doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. If Mm -hmm. I am getting close Mm -hmm. to retirement, flexibility might be, I need to be able to take my parents to their doctor's appointments and have the flexibility there. If I'm a new mom, it may be that, you know what, I need to stagger my workday so that I can accommodate childcare. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else, it might be, I need to get out of here so that I can get to baseball games for my kids or get my kids on Zoom calls in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of flexibility is going to be different for everybody. And so it really allows companies to have conversations around what that means. The other is really making work-life balance. And I will tell you the one thing I hate, I hear this work-life integration. No, Uh (laughs) we all go to work to get a paycheck because we have grown accustomed to our lifestyle. That is why we work. If we're going to really be honest. Now, hopefully the work that we do and the mission aligns with our values. And that's why we can continue to do it. But ultimately... I'm doing it in exchange for a monetary compensation. That's why Mm -hmm. we work. Mm -hmm. So this work-life integration, no, I'm not for integrating work into your life. I think that we need to disconnect from work so that you can enjoy your life, disconnect from the electronics. So organizations that are trying to work at work-life balance, look at when you're sending email communications, stop sending stuff at night, stop sending your employees texts. If you're going to be an organization that you expect your leaders to work 50 or 60 hours a week, then tell them up front so that they don't get resentful because people want a life and they want a job that supports their life. And you could be the one organization that has minimal turnover because you allow people to live their life and have their job and disconnect because they're more engaged, they're more productive, and you end up being much more profitable when you have happy, non-stressed employees. I'm so happy that you brought that topic up because it skips me, the whole going back to the office or not, and a lot of uncertainty with regards to the new normal. I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> the new normal. I'm so glad that you brought that up. The whole piece on needing to be flexible on the part of companies. There's been a lot of we, the employees, the individuals need to be flexible, need to be agile, and what have you. But also on the part of the companies thinking that through. I'm really glad that you brought that up. So thank you so much, Carrie. This has been incredible. You've given us so many tips and learned so much from you. If anyone wants to get hold of you, how best can they reach you? Well, redwoodexecutivecoaching.com. And there's a, you can email from there or give us a call on the phone. Or I'm on LinkedIn at Carrie Brzezowski. I'm over there almost every day. So that's probably a really great way to connect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Yes. This conversation is ever so necessary, particularly not just for our workforces, but particularly for family business owners and leaders. Stress and burnout is a key issue that we really don't talk about enough. And the pressure is real. 
the pressure is real as an owner, particularly in really choppy times, really uncertain times. The burden is heavy and anxiety and stress is real. So it can be very difficult to switch off because your mind is telling you the more on you are, the more you're able to be active and the more you're able to do to be able to essentially keep this business going. But this hasn't, it leaves an impact. It steers our souls. The constant activity and hustling, it leaves a mark on us. And there's a very strong tie between the mind, the soul, and the body. I think we need to start really thinking about a holistic view of our wealth, thinking about health, not necessarily being ancillary to wealth, but actually being at the core of wealth. Our emotional well-being is critical to our physical well-being. And our physical and emotional well-being, we need to tend to those because like Kerry said, the data suggests that when we do, it does lead to greater profit and productivity. It enables us to be able to bring our fullest selves to the table because sometimes we need to slow down to speed up. I remember hearing that for the first time by Amy Porterfield when she said that. I was like, really? That doesn't sound right. But when I thought about it, I was like, actually, it is right because you can spend a lot of time doing activity, but is it the most impactful activity? Is it the most meaningful activity? Having clarity of effectiveness, efficiency, the right decision to take at any given point in time only comes from a place of stillness and peace. So yes, we do need to slow down, to speed up as leaders. Thank you so much. Take good care and God bless you.